Welcome to the Pod Show, episode 10. Yes. A book review of the Protein to Energy Diet by Dr. Ted Naiman. And William Schufelt. Yes. So today is going to be a little bit different from our previous podcasts. We're not going to be talking about a specific recipe. We're going to be talking about a book Mike and I just recently reviewed. Yes. And... That means we're going to talk about food because we hardly stray from food topics. It's just we're not talking specifically about cooking a given food. But it ties in. It all ties into the same thing. Yes, it ties into uh, how we focus our diet, how we choose what we're going to eat. Yes. Fear not, dear listener, we're still breaking bread. We're still breaking bread. The pacha. Yes. Um... (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of different to have a uh, episode we know is not going to be about talking about how we cooked something or what that something was or how it tasted, although we just cooked a lot of good food today. We won't get into it, but it was very fun. Yeah, we did a lot of cooking today. Um, we are able to do that because I was home. I didn't have to work, so I was able to jump into the cooking a bit earlier. Yep. Some of the slightly positive effects of the quarantine if there are any mm-hmm. but yeah i guess we could just dive into it completely yeah let's do it all right who goes first i think you should go first since right. you started uh you were the one to start the first all right part. i'm gonna do my best at this here we go so the protein energy diet uh that's the name of a book that we just read um obviously from the name of the book you can tell it's about dieting right or what you should eat more than just like dieting i feel like dieting can be a weird mental concept for a lot of people sometimes but um the subtitle to the book is leverage your biology to achieve optimal health so overall you know this book it's really just about how to use the the biology you have how to gain understanding of it that way when you make decisions they're informed decisions instead of you know having a slight grasp on, you know, what things we eat, how they affect us and how we move and how that affects us. If you have like a bit of a wishy-washy understanding of it, it's obviously going to be um, harder to maintain your health. And when it's easier to maintain your health, it's easier to be healthy. And that's good, right? Yes. So that's, that's kind of like where the book comes from in my mind, my interpretation of it, like why it's useful. Um, And then I guess another thing that's different about this book um, and different to me is that it's the first book I ever read in digital format. Um, It is not a printed book. So I had to convert my uh, Luddite non-technology ways and and give up the romance of a physical book. And it was all right. I think I like physical books better, although there were times when I was I, I read on an iPad, so there were times I was swiping pages across, and that felt pretty exciting, mm-hmm. instead of having flip a page, a paper page. Um, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, so the book overall has kind of, it has two major parts, but we sort of define it as three conceptual parts to it. Uh, the first part's about diet, and the second one is about exercise. We're kind of breaking it down into three parts from there. Uh, the first part being uh, an evolutionary lens at protein and energy uh, in 
just overall across like the world not just like in humans by any means just kind of like what are those two things and why would they make sense um as a ratio for picking foods um and then the next part um that gets way more into how that concept applies directly to us humans um that's it's sounds very straightforward but it's a bit there's a lot to kind of pick apart and go through and unpack with that side of things and lastly uh, we just go over quickly about exercise and movement and this is all in our article um, we kind of wrote it together we didn't get in too many fights that was very nice <laughs> yeah. um and it's the first little article thing we wrote together i don't know if we'll write more uh or not we're not like holding ourselves to that yeah but for the most part if you read a book it's not given that i read it too so it was a little bit of an anomaly that i read this book yeah and you did too we usually read different books yeah um but it worked out well. We each just, like, split it up in half. Like, Mike focused on, like, the first half of the book, and I focused on the second half of the book. We wrote our own parts. We combined it together. And then we uh, still kind of edited on our own in the beginning, and then towards the last no, two and days. and then we really edited. And that that's when we got, like, real work done. We had to say goodbye to so many little paragraphs or sentences. Yeah. It's kind of a painful process, you know, writing. It is very it just kinda, hard. It just hurts. It's almost like you're getting pulled apart. Yes. Um, and then at the end when you kind of hit print or publish or whatever, you're like, okay, I guess I feel good. And you kind of do, but yeah. it, you're kind of like, all right, what's the next thing? Yeah. Uh, sh shortly after. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was interesting to write with someone. I think it's, it's really hard to write if you're just trying to write something and you never talk to someone about it. <clears throat> but like having someone to talk to is, is good for it. So I think that was a bonus of writing with a person. Yeah, and then too, just getting lots of feedback about like, you know, my, our different parts, like, you know, having you read it, like, does that make sense to you? Because like when I'm immersed in, in my part of the writing, if I'm immersed in mm -hmm. it, I sometimes need like a second set of eyes to like, you know, kind of bring it back together. Like, wait, what are you trying to say? Yeah, um, and it forces you to read it aloud, which everyone would tell you like, or maybe not everyone, but some people tell you to help edit your writing read it aloud to yourself but who does that you yeah know? like i don't read stuff aloud to myself ever anyway to the book uh the format it's an ebook uh you can get it it's on its own website which is linked in our article it's also on amazon.com if you've heard of amazon.com <laughs> it's a website that sells everything yes so this ebook had a ton of graphics and illustrations in it and actually i think a lot of them if not um, close to all of them are done by dr ted Naiman himself uh, he's he's kind of got this emoji graphic style and it breaks down all the sorts of um, scientific and medical jargon you're used to being confused by it just makes it very clear and easy to understand so i very i very much appreciated that aspect of the book so here we go <laughs> How's it start? Well, it pretty much starts off <clears throat> by saying that life eats life. Um, and, and there's kind of one exception out of life eating life being that plants, they don't eat life per se. Uh, some of them do, like mm -hmm. a little Venus flytrap. But most of them do not. Most of them make their own food and then they eat that, right? Um, so the sun 
along with the soil are the two things um, that are really needed for that. You still need some air as well. Um, so anyway, that's, that's stage one. Energy is hitting the earth. Plants are making food from that energy. Right? Now we introduce animals that eat plants. Herbivores. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Very cows. correct. And those, those animals, especially cows, love chomping on plants. Um, and so they eat plants for food. Yeah, they can't eat other animals. They can, but they typically don't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they can. Yeah, like deer eat birds sometimes. Mm. Anyway, after that, we're going up to carnivores now. You get the picture, right? Like plants eat the sun, cows eat plants, tigers eat cows. Um, we kind of leave out fungi and bacteria. They're part of the world, but they're less part of this discussion. Um, they decompose everything. Anyway, that's just kind of a, a recap on what the setup is with the food web and how energy transfers through it in, in a simple way. So All really, of this is kind of like yeah. pared down and made simple so that you can understand it. And it's also brought from a level of needing to be perfectly accurate to being highly useful, applicable, and practical for any person. So that's a, that's a big thing throughout this Plenty of people listening could just say, ah, that doesn't make sense perfectly. Yeah, maybe it doesn't. But does all of this apply and give you an understanding in a way that you never get when people use too much uh, vocabulary just to impress you? Yeah, he's really taking like a step back. Like, okay, like what is it that we all, all as organisms on this planet like need to survive? And like, how do we acquire our energy in each organism requires it from a different source but really it all comes from energy from the sun at the end of the day and like um and that goes into plants and like everything comes from plants really yeah um so speaking of plants and speaking of energy uh if we get a little more detailed in discussion on those two things so we remember plants make their own food um, and they supply all of that dietary energy uh, across all of life. Um, so energy is typically in this carbon-based chemistry. Um, and you may have heard of a, of a kind of carbon-based chemistry um, energy called carbohydrates. I think we all know what carbohydrates are. They're the things that taste way too good sometimes. And we, we are just loving eating them we can't stop like you get a big bowl of pasta who can't stop eating pasta i can't stop it's so good but that's carbohydrates right they are a a form of storing energy um they're they're chains of carbon carbon bonds um and then there's another one another type and that's called hydrocarbons and those are where the fats and lipids are yes so hydrocarbon is a fancy word Um, But the word all of us know is fats, and the other word that some of us know is lipids. So um, we know that, you know, if you look at the nutrition facts on any object uh, or food item, it will have three big categories, so Mm -hmm. protein, carbon, and fat. So right now we're covering two of those categories, carbon, uh, carbohydrates, (laughs) I am saying carbon, um, and fat. So those 
to our energy, right? So what does energy do? Energy helps you move. That's, that's how we're going to think of it through all of this. Um, the next thing we get to talk about is protein now. So protein, um, think of those as building blocks, right? Protein is something that helps you have tissue, helps you have bones, all of the meat, right? Mm -hmm. All the meat of your body. Um, that's protein. Now for a plant, um, it gets its protein from the soil. And one of the necessary requirements for that process to occur is nitrogen. So this is going to be protein now and it's nitrogen based and it's all about building things. Um, we're going to kind of go again and talk about how energy transfers between these uh, animal kingdoms or trophic levels. Uh, they're not really kingdoms, but you, here we go. Recap plants to herbivores to carnivores. Um, now we're talking more about, we're thinking about eating in general. Like, why does an animal out there want to eat, you know? We know it needs to su survive. It needs to eat to survive. But what is it that the animal is looking for when it's eating? Well, it's looking for nutrients, which are largely nitrogen-based and protein. So they're on that side, the protein side. It's also looking for energy. Mm. Energy side being fats, carbohydrates. Um, yes. And those two things are kind of, you look out at the world, you look out at nature, um, and you eliminate any sort of Pop-Tart, manufactured, processed foods, and there's going to be a proportion between protein and energy in most foods, and there, there will be a range, but what we'll see is that the um, degree of protein compared to energy will almost always be higher um, in completely just whole foods, um, whereas all these processed and manufactured food products um, they tend to be very low in what is protein versus what is energy in them as far as nutrition goes. Um, so to kind of further that point, if you think of an orange, uh, it's pretty much more energy than it is protein, but an orange isn't too sweet. It's not something you eat a ton of. You have a few or one, and that's plenty for a day typically. There might be someone out there that eats a lot of oranges. Yeah. I'm not that person. But then once you take oranges and you squeeze them and you get all the juice out and you dilute what was there and concentrate and other aspects of what was there. Yeah, so all the fiber is gone. Fiber in the water, yeah. The bulk of the, the fiber is gone in one bucket and the um, water is in another bucket. Yeah. So now you're just left with all, like almost all sugar. So here, the, here's how we see that idea kind of play out in one food from its natural state to uh, processed and like bottled up and sold to you in mass quantity style um, object. Um, all right. Now we just did a little bit of, I don't know, was that food chemistry? Web. Was that chemistry? Or what were we even talking it about? It was like the food web. It was it almost was... like earth science too. I don't yeah. think it was, but the soil came it's up. looking at like how, what is it that we need like all organisms need to survive. They need energy. They need protein. They need they need to be able to make building blocks. They need energy. Um, and, and what comes after talking about chemistry, earth science topic? And Obviously, evolution. Evolution. Applying this to like our evolution. So God created evolution. 
Um, oh wait, sorry. Yeah, so now we're we're looking at evolution because uh, with evolution, a species adapts to survive and procreate, um, and it adapts to its environment, and it adapts to its food environment. The input mm-hmm. and output of protein and energy in a species over a long time series is very important. Um, and so we're going to talk about the time series of our food environment for a little bit. Uh, so these numbers sound like crazy to me, and I always forget them. But for instance, humans have been uh, an agricultural society for around 10,000 years. It's not too many years, although compared to like my life, it's way long, right? Now, let's add a bunch more zeros to that number and talk about when humans lived as hunter-gatherers. So that's 2.5 million years, uh, and that's, you know, these numbers are not exact. That's a range. We don't know if it's a little short than that or way longer than that, depending on if we have new tools in our future and we start to um, see the past more distinctly. Uh, there, you know, there, there was a time when I'm sure people didn't even think there were uh, societies... Um, beyond farming i'm sure in ancient egypt it might not have been common to think about hunter gatherers um, at all but so we know a certain amount and we know that we're talking about a 2.5 million value for hunter gatherers a 10,000 year uh, value for farming so it looks like we've been hunter gatherers for a very 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 long time um, if majority you, of our human existence. Right. So if you just divided the years spent as farmers and then uh, put hunter-gatherer as the denominator there that time, we get a very crazy amount of time spent as hunter-gatherers uh, as a species. It's 99.6% of our time. 99.6. So which leaves only Yeah, which leaves only point, 0.4%. Um, of our time as agricultural humans. So that's saying that we're probably more adapted to an evolutionary lens, a more hunter-gatherer diet rather than uh, one that is uh, of agriculture. Yes, I would bet a lot of money on that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this it's theoretical. Like, you know, we don't really know, but we, we feel pretty but confident. It makes sense. It just makes sense. Right. <laughs> and we like to make sense. So, with that being said, if we looked, we looked at a few things to kind of bring that message home. Um, pre-agricultural, uh, as hunter-gatherers, we uh, we had a very high um, protein, high mm-hmm. higher fiber diet. Um, but for the most part, what we could not find enough of as a species was energy. So we were energy constrained. Um, so fat was very prized. It's something you'll sort of connect to different points in your life when you heard people talk about like a fatted calf and, and like winning the fat and a lot of other like interesting like sayings that pretty much elevate fat to a very prized possession. Um, yeah, and we know that like as, um, as hunter gatherers, like pre-agriculture that we were eating a predominantly... Um, meat-based diet because they've done like uh, they've been able to do like isotope I think it's like isotope, isotope analysis yeah where they they're able by um, and in that they're able to determine like the nitrogen levels and they know like oh at a certain level of nitrogen that that 
person or that organ that thing was consuming mostly animal products or like or less so yeah. yeah so the range that the i guess the amount of nitrogen in our ancestors bones was at a level of like essentially carnivore yeah it's usually kind of um related to at or around the same style diet that wolves have yeah um which that's not in this book particularly but something that we've yeah, um, it's something to note, so it's not our, like we're just making it elsewhere. up. That. And so <laughs> another complimentary kind of anecdote, not anecdote, just fact actually, um, to go with this is looking at similar values in terms of um, the quality of teeth, the height of um, humans. If you analyze pre-agricultural humans, they were all taller in stature. I think our height went from around six to six foot two for an average male, mm-hmm. way down to I think about five foot six to five foot eight. It went for down an to that male. after agriculture. Yeah, so we we go from hunter gatherer to uh, agricultural societies, and we see smaller brains, shorter people, uh, poorer um, bone health actually in the mm-hmm. teeth. That's where you start getting problems with teeth. Before this, they're more or less weren't problems with teeth um, in, in the actual record of teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's because in agriculture, this is, this is what the book is getting at right now, right? In agriculture, we just, we pump up the energy yield of all foods. Uh, we're really happy to have all this energy because in the previous hunter-gatherer lifestyle, uh, we had to go out and find something most days. We couldn't store things. We weren't in a stable location. We were moving around. So we're pretty happy to be getting all this energy coming out of the earth every year at similar times. Uh, we can stockpile some of this. We can get through the winters in one place. We can start worshiping gods and building temples for those gods instead of kind of being always like packing up, moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so we're by by being st- if for in order for us to be still as humans we had to develop technologies um, with agriculture um, to be able to stay still because right previously we would be following or tracking herds and those herds migrate so we went where the food was yep um, and this frees us of that and so you could say that that's a great thing now, it seems like our health came at a cost. We got security and we had less uh, of our health was sometimes a little more secure, but it sort of deteriorated at the same, um, at, a, at a rate which yeah. is, is kind of still going on, so, we would yeah. say. So yeah, the big difference between agriculture and pre-agriculture is then agriculture, and this is like the past 10,000 years. Like, think Egypt. Yeah, Egypt. Like, is that um, this ancient statures went slu- uh, lower? Uh, their bones dis- were more disintegrated, rotting teeth. Um, actually, Egyptians. I read another book that said that they're in the mummies. They were able to tell that they were quite plump. A lot of them, like plumper than we would yeah. maybe anticipate, but not. They weren't as big as like people are now, though. That's probably true. <laughs> and so, what really changed then is is after agriculture revolution. Is the industrial revolution right? The steam engine, which is not as long a period of time as uh, yeah, we're only talking like you know market where you want, but around two hundred fifty years ago, mm-hmm. which 
that's not that long, especially compared to 2.5 million years. Yeah. So things have really shifted the past 250 years where we develop technologies to really squeeze out the energy of food and like create right. all these interesting food products that we see today. And we and we manufacture food on an industrial scale as well. So it's not just that we're changing the way the food is and getting some amounts of that changed food. We change the food so much and that's predominantly all the food we get. Now if you went to a grocery store and you walk around it, about 80% of that store is dedicated towards industrial foods. Mm-hmm. The other 20% is just regular food, so the produce aisle, the meat aisle, those things usually around the outside. Um, so industrial revolution, you know, it, cha- it changes our food environment drastically. Um, and if you think about it too, most people would understand that they eat quite differently than their uh, grandmothers or their grandfathers. Yeah, it keeps getting even further and it's further. A, it's typically it. a pretty interesting discussion between two generations when you you get to ask them like oh you ate that typically all the time um and one can only imagine how differently we eat right now than we uh used to just even 50 years ago or 100 years so So a lot of rapid change in the last 250 years yeah so in agriculture i think the thing that was added to the diet in addition to the meat and fruits and vegetables was like grains but then once industrial And, and yeah, and I think they like, you know, started making breads at like maybe like 500 years ago or something, but then like it was Not just much like refined these past sugar at 250 that years is when we were able to like in, uh, process like sugar, like extract it from beets. Like think about and like just that technology that like requires. Sugar can, and sugar cane too. Yeah. So like things like colonial. ice cream and all that stuff is so new. Like I even, um, I've been reading a I saw a thing recently where, like, in the 1700s in England, people were consuming, like, uh, maybe four pounds of sugar a year, which was quite, you know, more than even in the past. But then, you know, by the 1950s, that moved up to, like, 100, over 100 pounds of sugar. So it just shows that over just a short period of time, really increased that, like, processed sugar. Yeah, I believe, too, that if you look at that same timeline, the... Um, people that started seeing a lot of diseases, which we have right now in more prevalence, um, those diseases started cropping up amongst the rich folk. And those were the people that could afford to get this new sugar that was in high demand. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing to think about with all of this. Um, so I think that, you know, that's, that covers some of this beginning. So this evolutionary lens. So we're not just talking about what did what did the healthy people eat um, living in North America, the native people, what did they eat, although that would work for this because they're hunter-gatherers. We're not talking about just the time frame between now and then, though. We're talking about the time frame that humans have been a species. So this is a much longer time frame. We're talking about what our biology is adapted to. We're not talking about politics or any of those things that come and go. Yeah, and then just it, it, it just gets you thinking, too, that all these chronic diseases that we see now, diabetes, heart disease, um, autoimmune illness, like, a lot of this is just so new, like, 
back even just 100, 150. I mean, we haven't really been keeping documentation of this until like like only for the past like 100, 150 years. There was just such a lower rate of these things. I mean, you even look at pictures in like of the 1920s in America. People were in, in you know generally much smaller. So um, it just puts it all into perspective by like really zooming out. That's correct. Seeing the changes. Looking from 40,000 feet up. Um, yeah, and so with that all sort of wrapped up, it's now time just to formally introduce the protein to energy ratio. Mm -hmm. uh, protein, how many grams of protein, how many grams of energy, uh, divide that. So protein divided by the total calories in a food, that's, that's your ratio. That's how you could determine if a food is healthy or unhealthy, but we'll get, we'll tap more into like the details of that as we continue through the article, but now it's my little portion. Yeah, you will be talking much more. I kind of hogged the mic at the start. <laughs> well, I thought that's what we were going to do anyway, that you, were gonna, that you were going to talk predominantly in the beginning and I was going to predominantly talk And that's what we're doing. So um, now we get into like how we can map this onto us. So energy toxicity. So Ted Naiman talks about energy toxicity is the root cause to chronic disease. And what chronic disease is like deep diabetes, high blood pressure, Alzheimer's disease, asthma, osteoporosis. Um, it's all can be related to um, excess energy intake. And again, energy is those carbons. That's the fat. That's the carbs. That's how we have energy in our bodies. Um, uh, and so energy toxicity is strongly associated with insulin resistance and insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas. It has a lot of functions, but essentially tells like fat and it's essentially like a, a building, uh, hormone storage. storage. Like it tells your body to like store sugar away, to store, um, uh, fat away. And so I've heard too that it just, it does like a, a million or not a million but it does like a lot of things. So we're not saying it doesn't do other things, but we are saying a big important part of it is exactly this, like this, yeah. it's storing energy. Yes. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so energy toxicity, so too many carbs, too many fat is associated with this, with um, this insulin resistance. And it's basically like insulin resistance is your body's in inability to like receive any more, to store any more energy. So your fat cells are filled up, they're, they're as large as they can be. Um, your glycogen, your your carb storage is as big as it can be. I mean, that that's easy to fill because it's very tiny. And what's the favorite analogy for all this? Sorry, I'm trying to skip ahead the, to the suitcase. Oh, the, the, the suitcase, yeah. You could no, I think we could say it. It makes sense. Like a Let's hear about the suitcase. So this is an um, ana analogy, a medical analogy, analogy yeah, that uh, we, we kind of like derive from like Dr. Fung. There's another like... Uh, Dr. Jason Fung. Yeah, that we really like. Basically, you could you could think of it as like stuffing clothes into a suitcase. Like, say you're trying to go on like a really long trip, and you only have such a, a small suitcase, but you need to put a lot of clothes in. You could think of yourself as insulin. You're the <laughs> insulin. You're trying to. Hello, I'm insulin. You're the one shoving the clothes into the suitcase. You can think of the clothes as carbs and fat, like shoving in. After a certain point, that suitcase is is not going to be able to fit anything anymore. It's going to be overfilling. I hate when that and happens. That always happens. And you can't, as insulin, push any more in. But you're still trying. You're still trying, and you're but you're becoming... You're resistant. You're now... Becoming, and so you send how... What do you do? You send more help. Send more help. So you so instead more of it being insulin, just you, yeah. it's you and your uh, significant other. Yep. Or someone else. Who knows? Someone else, yeah. Maybe everybody. Whatever. That's kind of weird, but you know, maybe. You just keep bringing more people in, and then... Uh, 
you know, that helps a little bit because you're getting a little bit more force in. But after a certain point, it's just like your body is um, saturated. Yes, yeah, saturated. And be, when you when you're when you're become insulin resistant, it results in a lot of these chronic diseases. Like, like um, obviously the easy one is high blood sugar. Like your your sugar can't fit into still be stored anywhere in your body anymore. So your yeah. blood sugar goes up. And just think, it takes so long to get to that point where like everything in your body is sat like there's no more room to store it and then at mm-hmm. that point it goes up so high so it it it's um it spills out just like uh let's say this this happened to me the other day i was being totally vacant and not paying attention i grabbed the brita filled with water i grabbed my glass set it on the table started pouring i didn't even stop pouring i just poured i just kept pouring it called all spilled out i made a silly mess luckily it was water, so it wasn't really a big deal. But that's that's what's happening uh, with this this insulin resistance and energy toxicity um, is that we're overflowing our typical store for mm-hmm. all of this energy, and it's ending up showing up into our, our blood yeah. and our bloodstream. Now, so it, it looks like the two. problem is that it takes a long time, right? Yes, yes, so that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, It takes a long time for you to see... Your triglycerides, I think it's usually you see your triglycerides go up first. Elevated. Yeah, and then you see that high blood sugar. The high blood sugar is like really like the last of it. And everyone gets there at a certain point. Like some people, and it's all dependent on your, this is theoretical, but like it seems to make sense, your personal fat threshold. So some people can only, might only gain a little bit of fat and then get that, um, then have insulin resistance. And then, you know, that results in high blood sugar, high triglycerides. But for other people, they can just keep growing more and more fat cells and they'll still have normal blood work where their blood sugar is really low and their triglycerides are, are normal. So that's why we're, we think that, or, and Dr. Tendon thinks it's, it's not good to um, just wait for those that um, blood work to come back It's bad. a very late signal. It's, it's a very signal. downstream. Yeah. And, and the problem with being downstream isn't just that it's late in time. It's that you have more uh distance to swim back upstream now yeah so a better way to look at it is to um what are the early signs like well no first of all like when you're when you're storing fat it's all going to be like at first it's going to be like subcutaneous like under the skin so like you know like where like your like love handles are like you know just kind of like i mean it's good to have a little bit of fat on you you don't want no fat but that's like you know that's like where your fat first goes and that's that's okay but then when after that um your fat will start once that's all filled up the fat underneath your skin there the fat will start to form um uh what is it it's like around the organs it's called visceral fat and then that uh, presents itself as like a belly like so that at that point when you're starting to develop belly you know that you are becoming insulin resistant that you uh are are so it's a it's a low-tech signal instead of having to schedule an appointment with your doctor get pricked in the arm uh have the blood taken away run through a thing yeah and then results come back to you instead of all that process you don't have to fast in the morning and wait to to get that pinprick you could just you know there's other ways to detect some of this stuff and at this point we finally looked at everything together and we're starting to see the big common denominator is energy toxicity and and that's that's something that we can detect early and avoid yeah yep 
Um, exactly. So that's that's a way to see if you're becoming insulin resistant easy without even going to the doctor. Just see if you've got a belly, <laughs> pretty much. Um, if you're it, you, your chest or uh, waist to height ratio. I don't have the formula right here, but that's a just Google it and you'll see. Um, but yeah, this is again, it's both carbs and fat. So um, those those two, too much of those two, any combination of those two is 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 not going to be good. Um, so how can these concepts guide our food choices? So basically he's saying carbs and, and fats, energy, um, are especially dangerous combo together. Um, I mean, if you think of like any of like the most like, uh, the tastiest the tasting, industrial food you could think of, yes, right? Yeah. The most pleasurable food, like where you, uh -huh. pizza, um, Reese's, bagel with cream cheese, um, I mean, even like, like, and it's almost like instinctual now for us to, to do this, like with bread, like you want to put butter on the bread mm. because that, again, that refined carb and fat is bread just like, butter. it's irresistible. And like when they've done, um, studies on people feeding them high fat, high carb diets, like they overeat by 30 to 40%. So it just really drives that overeating, um, it's, uh, and, um, also too, like if you think about like in nature, like the, this combination doesn't really exist in nature. Uh, the only places where it exists, mm -hmm. um, is like milk, like mother's milk, like either, you know, a mother of uh, giving it to her baby yeah. and nuts. And these, these, um, this is supposed to nourish and grow the organism. Right. So it's supposed to drive over, you know, just growing after a certain point, you don't need to be growing anymore. <laughs> or <laughs> you're not correct. you're not your body isn't like trying to grow anymore so like all the extra growth would be like in fat <laughs> yeah yeah that's a really good point um and so yeah we eat by 30 40 percent and also fats and carbs are burned or oxidized reciprocally in the cells um so that means at a given time we can only burn either carbs or fat so if we are eating a pizza we're burning the carbs in the pizza and then we're kind of like storing that fat um Obviously, it depends on how much you eat. If you're, if you're, you know, but like that's something to keep in mind. Like you're, you're either burning one or the other. That's yeah. why either low, um, consistently being on a low carb or low fat diet usually works with weight maintenance. Um, something to think about. Um, okay, then we go into frequency of carbs and timing. So now we're focusing more on carbs. All carbs that we consume are eventually con uh, converted to glucose in the blood. So it doesn't matter what carbs. It could be like oatmeal, sugar, um, I don't know, like cereal, uh, apple. You know, they have, some have fiber, some don't, whatever. They all, it doesn't matter. They all turn can into I, glucose in the blood. What? Can I ask then? Yeah. So does that mean that when the carbohydrate is like turning into sugar, does that mean it started more or less as something that's close to like sugar or like is it that like what is the deal with this it's like you told me one time about monosaccharides yeah. saccharides or something and i didn't know what you meant polysac but. so like a lot of like carbs like they'll start as like polysaccharides which is like a bunch of glucose um glucose is like chained together um that's like a big one and then it'll break down to just like monosaccharide which is glucose um uh, yeah, see, I, I never There's always, knew. like, a combination of it in, in, in certain things. And there's different kinds of different names. Like, uh, some... Like, you could think of, like, refined sugar as, like, a disaccharide. It includes, oh, okay. like... It's, like, two simple sugars together. Um, it's, like, suc I think it's sucrose and, sucrose and fructose together. Wow. And sucrose uh, and fructose... 
There's su sucrose is the disaccharide, and that consists of two monosaccharides together, but I don't know the names of them. But anyway, yeah. it doesn't really matter. It breaks up in the bloodstream um, as glucose. Yeah, I guess, like, the main, and so, like, what I was asking is just because I'm relatively shocked by that, even though I've known that for a little while in my life, I think I've lived so much of my life without knowing that little tidbit that um, carbohydrates just convert into sugar. Yeah. Actually, though, what's interesting, the one monosaccharide, so the one simple sugar, fructose, actually doesn't, I believe that it just goes straight to the liver and gets converted to fat, but I'm not actually quite sure. And, you know, it might get turned into glucose, and then at a certain point, if you're consuming too much fructose, a portion of that gets just thrown to the liver and gets huh. converted to fat because it's seen as like a toxin but i don't i don't know i need to like look into that again that's yeah, just a that's a minuscule detail yeah whatever anyway so um okay so again all carbs break down to glucose in the blood our blood this is an interesting thing to think about can only hold on to four grams which is like one teaspoon like a sugar pack of glucose at a given time um and uh this glucose can either be stored in the muscles or the liver um, so glucose first goes, always goes to the muscles because like in the event you need to sprint away, you need that, um, you need that, uh, glucose Ooh, like, right it's away. It's like the rocket power yeah. fuel. Yeah, and it takes a while to deplete that. It takes like, I think 90 minutes of intense exercise. So it takes a, it takes a really long time to deplete and your body's just always trying to refill that up. Um, but the liver glycogen, so the, um, uh, glycogen again is like the storage of glucose is different is that. It um it it's almost like a buffer like it just like makes sure that your blood glucose is like at a normal level because again you can only hold on to a teaspoon at a time so when you eat a lot of if you eat a bowl of pasta like um you know go up and then you know you you burn some of that energy and the rest will be sucked up by your liver so that your um you know your blood sugar you you bring that blood sugar back down to a normal amount um so uh. Another thing to think about, most people can only hold on to 100 grams of glucose in that liver at a given time, so they can only suck out um, 100 grams, which 100 grams you can think of as like four apples. Wow. So if you're eating, um, so four apples, so if you were to eat five apples, you know, four um, four of those apples would go right to your liver glycogen, so you know, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be put into, it wouldn't be made into fat, and that other apple would be, would be um, converted into fat, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, it can't be just lying around your bloodstream. Um, it's not going to, if you can't find your liver glycogen, it's going to be, it's going to be burnt. It's going to be created into fat. So it could be stored. Um, or it could be burned. It depends. I guess it depends right. on how active you're being or, you know, what you're doing. Um, so, uh, now would it, it would be, could it be different then if I had two apples midday and then two apples later in the day? That wouldn't be the same thing as having four apples all at one point as far as my um, glycogen. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if you only had two apples at once, I don't really know. It wouldn't overload me as much, right? I think it would depend on a lot of things. It would depend on your... Um, it would depend on like at what time of day you ate it, like how filled up are your glycogen stores? Like, right. did you, did you completely but, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm just saying like compared to eating all four at once, would it overload my system the same way? No, no. Yeah. It would be, that would be more ideal to have like a more limited amount, like mm -hmm. at, a, at a 
given time. You don't want to be consuming too many carbs at once because that's going to really spike your blood sugar and then it's going to, uh, you know, get converted to, like, fat. If, especially if you're not really active. Right. And then I guess I guess this could lead more into, like, what we're talking about, just, like, frequency, like, eating, the when of eating, because we always talk about the what of eating. Yeah. So, Dr. He, Ted Neiman recommends that... Um, that uh, we should be only consuming, especially if we're inactive people. If you're active, you can, you know, you're burning a lot more. You need more energy. Um, but uh, for an inactive person, probably should be consuming more than 100 grams a day, uh, 100 grams of carbs in a day, because again, your liver um, can only like store about that much. The rest will get converted to fat. And he mm. recommends doing it all one part of the day. Um, the reason being that like it's and he recommends too like at night would be ideal because you eat at night and then in 12 hours later that liver glycogen gets depleted and then after that 12 hours you you'll start um, you you'll start like burning fat that you have on your body so it makes sense to have it all at once and then it keeps your blood sugar you know controlled as well mm -hmm. um, and uh, okay metabolic flexibility so um, like the, we upregulate machinery for fuel that we frequently use, and we downregulate machinery for fuel we do not use. So again, there's two different types. There's two fuel sources in the body. There's the carbohydrates and there's the fat. Mm. Um, so if we're only eating a lot of carbs and not that much fat, uh, say, say we eat like every three to four hours, and it's just carbs, really no fat. Um, we're going to just get used to burning carbs, and if we're you know not consuming any carbs and we're only consuming fat then we're going to get used to burning fat um and it's good to be metabolically flexible so able to switch between burning these two fuel sources mm -hmm. um like a hybrid yeah um so in order to be metabolically flexible you want to make sure that you've got um room in your your muscle your, your glycogen uh so that and your fat cells so that you could soak up more energy <laughs> yeah um and you can do this by fasting because when you're fasting, you're depleting that like that glycogen, that the carb storage, um, and then you'll you'll start tapping into that fat and burning that fat. You could also with exercise when you're exercising, you're depleting that um, liver and muscle glycogen, leaving room for um, more energy to be soaked up. Um, and so there's two types of states: a fed and fasted state. Um, the fed state is when you could think of it as like when the hormone insulin is high and it signals our body to store calories and fat cells. Um, and when insulin's high, your, your fat burning's reduced. And the primary signal of this insulin release is, is glucose um, coming into the body um, and being stored as glycogen. Uh, and so, what are we gonna say here? You don't have to go into too many details about that. Um, again, it's like I kind of said before, like he recommends, Dr. Chen Naiman recommends like fasting for at least 12 to 16 hours a day. Cause between the 12 and 16 hour mark, you're usually going to have your muscle, your liver glycogen depleted. You'll start tapping into that fat storage. So what hours would someone maybe eat between some, is it something like between noon and 8 PM would be a window of eating for, for that? Yeah. Yeah. So like if you, you, um, your last meal is at 8 o'clock p.m., then you wouldn't eat again until 9, 10, 11, 12. That'd be 16. 
one. That's 16. Yeah, yeah, so 12, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so. there's eight hours in a day to eat is is what he uh, Ted Naiman is saying that that's more or less ideal as far as frequency of eating. It gives you a chance to spend time in the fed state, a chance to spend time in the fasted state. Yeah, and again, you want to be in that fasted state so you could, like, um, you know, leave some room and you're like deplete your your glycogen like burn some of that fat so and it, it gives your digestive system a rest there's too. a lot of reasons yeah and then also so it's to, a restorative yeah uh, and if you're state. if you're fasting too you're burning your um stored fat at some point you'll be burning your stored fat and when you're burning your stored fat you get you become more me- yeah, like i said metabolically flexible and the more you do it the the more used to um you're the, the you start operate upregulating that machinery and mm-hmm. like you know, you, you will um, just easily tap into burning fat instead of just being dependent on carbs. So it just makes things, like, a lot easier, just, like, less hungry all the time. Um, so you could think of um, being metabolically flexible as a, a good analogy for it as a trucker tank filled with oil. Mm-hmm. If the truck runs out of gas, it stops moving, even though there's thousands of, thousands of gallons of oil in the tank. It's because a trucker tank prefers to run on refined gas and incapable of burning oil for, for, for fuel. Um, so that's like with a lot of people, like you wonder, like someone is very heavily overweight and they're still hungry every three, four hours. Like, what is that about? I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Obviously eating food is pleasurable. Um, and there's all these other like psychological things, but a lot of times it's just like blood sugar, like it goes up and then three, four hours later it goes down. And when it gets like a little bit low, when, once your blood sugar gets a little bit low, you, you get, the, if you're a only signal, burning right? sugar, if you're burning sugar all the time, it's like, you're going to feel these like, um, time to pull over for gas. Yeah. Like, Oh, I need to eat more food, um, to bring that blood sugar back up again. Yeah. Cause it can't. And if we're back to that analogy or is this one a metaphor? I'm not sure anymore, but like yeah. when we go back to this oil, um, tanker, the truck that's carrying oil, uh, it's going to have to refuel the gas quite frequently and it's never going to be able to pull from the oil. So that's, that's just directly exactly what we're talking about um, with, with blood sugar and sugar based metabolism versus, um, fat metabolism. Yeah. And if you're burning more fat all the time, your blood sugar is going to be more stable. It's going to keep your mood more stable. You're not going to be as hungry all the time. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really good practice to be more metabolically flexible to reduce that carb frequency and to fast um so again he said yeah to be more fat adapted think ways to do that there are a couple different ways you could do low carb diets just exercising um caloric restriction intermittent fasting Um, caloric restriction obviously isn't ideal um because if you're just restricting overall calories it will work because you end up restricting more glucose um, and you'll be able to tap into that fat storage, but, uh, you're usually, when you do that, you're restricting more nutrient dense foods and that makes, means you're hungry. <laughs> right. So if you're okay with being hungry, calorie restrictions. Okay. I don't like being hungry. No. I do like being hungry right before I eat though. That's why, again, that's why the protein energy diet is, is really good because you're, learn never hungry. Um, I mean, <laughs> you are hungry, but like you're hungry less frequently. Exactly. Um, so... To figure out the protein energy ratio, now we're into like, well, okay, well, like, what kind of foods am I picking out? You're to figure it out. You want to choose food, choose foods with a ratio of 1.0. So to figure this out, you need to do um, divide protein by fat plus carbs minus fiber. Yeah. Um. So a, a, a ratio of 1.0 you could think of as like 
steak and eggs. Um, mm. That depends on the steak. If it's a, if a leaner cut, it's going to be a little higher. Um, so, obviously, you don't want, like, just pure... You don't want, like, a... I don't know, like, a energy ratio of, like, six or something. Like, just pure egg whites. Because you need... Again, you need... We need energy to survive. We need fat. We need carbs. Yeah. Um, it's not like we don't need these things. But we need to, um, like... Uh, it's more important to focus more on the protein part because we have we have a, we have a hunger for both things, protein and energy. Focus more on the protein part and then fill in with the the energy either through carbs or fat. But obviously, it recommends more so through fat. So, what are some foods that are like way low, like point zero, like zero point five or lower? So the than really 1. low 0. ones are like. Um, grains and like refined grains Um, like so for example he's got here pasta is a 0.12 and ground beef is a 2.1 and even something that's like like olive oil just on its own which I don't know if anyone eats it on its own yeah Um, but that's low too right because there's not really any protein there it's just all energy it's yeah that's not yeah exactly you don't want to so again you want to focus on the ones with like a high like for maintenance, like 1.0, for a little bit of fat loss, like a little bit higher. But again, like, um, so it's better to try to minimize, like, focus more on animal proteins and minimize, um, like, only use enough fat to cook your meat and then minimize on nuts and hard cheeses and avocados because their protein energy ratio is low. That means that it's not going to be as satiating um, as, like, a... As a cut of meat. Also, sadly, donuts are very low on this scale. I hate to break it to all of us, but they are. They're just very low. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, they're not good. My condolences. Um, so back to that hunger thing again. Like I was, I was kind of talking about. Um, there are like three kinds of hunger. There is the nutrient hunger, um, and there's the energy hunger, and then there's hedonic hum- hunger. So, uh, nutrient hunger is that uh, hunger we have for protein. Um, desire to eat because we need to like acquire protein for building blocks and minerals. Um, so if we're eating really uh, food that is really poor in protein, like just candy bars all day, we'll typically like people theorize that we might be overeating those candy bars because we're trying to eat enough of that food to acquire the amount of protein we need to survive. Um, that's all theory, but um, that's that could be it. So. That's why, um, again, we want to focus on the, that nutri- uh, protein-rich foods first. Um, and uh, another thing to keep in mind is we often... And so, again, we also need... We also have a hunger for energy. Like, we need we need carbs. We need, like, either carbs or fats to have enough energy in our body to move. So, you know, don't, don't completely avoid all that stuff. Um, uh and again, we also often confuse um, between low glycogen hunger and true energy hunger. Low glycogen hunger, again, happens when you're not fat adapted and you're constantly just burning carbs for fuel. You have to eat every three to four hours. You shouldn't be hungry every, like, that's that's not, I mean, you can keep doing that if, if you're happy with that. But if it's, that's the advantage of being fat adapted is that you're not going to be feeling um hungry every three four hours because you're not gonna have those dips in blood sugar right and so when we're talking about these three hungers the um is it just protein hunger and energy hunger and then hedonic hunger yeah then hedonic hunger like it's almost like we need to satisfy two of those hungers in order to not be hungry all the time Mm -hmm. right protein and energy hunger very important to satisfy hedonic hunger 
that one's trickier and it's a very slippery slope. Yeah, it's because it, it doesn't uh, provide like the right benefit to your body. Yeah, so you it's really easy to overeat. Um, so like energy dense carbs and fats together are really pleasurable, like potato chips, cupcakes, mm. pizza, candy. They're all really energy dense. Um, uh, and so we really want to try to minimize these foods because they're really easy to just overeat. Um, you know, like you can, like there have been studies of people who, you know, have lost weight by just eating like, like three donuts a day or something like that. Like, really? like, but like that would make you so hungry because you're getting no actual nutrients. Nutri- nutrients. So your body's going to be like, oh, I'm like signaling hunger to you because they're like, we need Ugh. protein, we need protein, but... Um, you're not giving it that. So then he has like a nice graphic here, like a pi- a big piece of sand is 300 calories of satiety, while a donut is 300 calories of hunger. Mm. You know, think about like I was chewing this at work the other day. Like a pound of salmon is like you know 600 calories, while like two two donuts is like also 600 calories. If you eat a pound of salmon, you're gonna be full all day long. If you eat two donuts. You can easily eat again in three, four hours. And you can eat two donuts again in three, four hours, I think, too. That's yeah. Possible. Yeah. It's just really easy to overeat, and you're not going to be full. So, something to keep in mind. So, uh, there are only two reasons why everyone, he has this graphic here, two reasons why anyone overeats. You need to eat more, or you want to eat more. So, you need to eat more. It's either, like, you're not getting enough protein, you're not getting enough energy. Um, you want to eat more. It's just, like, an addiction so, again, okay, the practical application, this is the last part of the diet thing, eat lean protein veggies first. Um, so, target protein and minerals to achieve nutrient satiety. Um, so, think of it this way, too. Your body can turn protein to carbs. It's not like, you know, protein can be converted to carbs, but um, carbs and fat cannot be converted to protein. Um, so, we should focus more on the protein part, you know. Prioritize the protein. Like, you actually, the protein is the one macronutrient where it's like the you could actually like be building things that you can't with protein uh, with carbs and fat it's um, essential it's really yeah it is um so focus on that first then minimize carb frequency so that you become more fat adapted um he recommends this because it's gonna reduce it's gonna keep you your blood sugar more stable it's gonna make you more um satiated throughout the day um it's just very good room. overall. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, and then uh, eat added energy, so extra fat and um, carbs only uh, if necessary. Like either if you're like an athlete or like, you know, you You, you don't feel... have to load too much butter in your coffee. You yeah, know? yeah. And then, um, yeah, again, be cautious of understand that fats and carbs together, high energy dense fats and carbs together, ice cream, donuts, they they drive overeating. Um and it's uh, I can attest to that. Yes. <laughs> I've been known to take down a pie of ice cream in a, in an instant. Yeah. I mean, I think most people can, you know, like Oh. Yeah. It's uh so yeah, it's just and it's not like we can't you can't eat those foods ever. It's just be mindful of it that what what it's doing to your body, it's not providing nutrition. Yeah. Um and a good way to like like a lot of times if we have ice cream, we just won't like we'll just take like fast for a little bit and like let her you know, glycogen, like deplete, tap back into the fat storage again. Um, yeah, I would say having read this, I definitely am far more mindful about overeating something that is really, really energy dense, like ice cream. Yeah, yeah. 
it just it makes you like reading this book it makes you just understand like wow this this food is not providing anything for my body it's completely hedonic hung it's just hedonic it's just pleasurable it gives Um, you a really good map for like what is the input that's going into my body and then if you're thinking about it and trying to change at least you know what decisions you're making and how they affect your body way better than you did before yeah. uh, reading this book or knowing these things or maybe from listening to this at least it, it helps a little bit for some people out there hopefully that's yeah um, very it was very informative for us so hopefully it's really important for everyone else um, but we're not yet done I we're we're really cruising right now we're going along we thought we were gonna get to exercise way earlier and yeah, we're, we're just really getting to it a lot. I guess we're really excited about this stuff <laughs> yeah we're we're going into it for sure right, we're so uh so let's get into exercise yes diet's over we're back to yeah, exercise yeah everyone knows what exercise is everyone exercises I, I know the best way to exercise you know what it is what it's easy you just go for a jog right no my oh God. man no 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 what i mean jogging isn't ba- any exercise is good right um but there's you know all, 10 name is all about like making uh, a work like getting the most bang for your buck essentially um wait saving time yes yeah, saving I like time. To save time yeah you can get a lot more out of like a short high intensity uh workout both resistance training mm. and also demand high intensity cardio training um so so the way to think about this is like uh you want to push your muscles to failure to signal your body to rebuild. So if you think of like in a survival setting, like if you were like in the past, like running away from a tiger, you're running as fast as you possibly can, and then you're, and then you like couldn't breathe, you couldn't breathe. That signals your body like, oh, we need to like build more so that that doesn't happen again. So and the only thing is, if you get caught by that tiger. You don't have a chance. You're done for. Yeah. The tiger got you. You're over. <laughs> or like, <laughs> or, if you're, or yeah. If, if he did, then that's it. There's no more building left. Unless you just like start you're to like decompose. Sylvester Stallone, you just like take that tiger out with your like bare hands. Yeah. Somehow, real, real fast. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not him, so I don't think that's. I'm not either. Me. Yeah. That what will happen for us is if we get through that situation, our body will be like, "Yo, let's mm-hmm. build up so that doesn't." And it's like a slow process, right? But yeah, of course. you could do tiny little workout, a short, but like focused and intense workouts every day that will, every day could signal your body, build more. And then within a period of time, one or two months, you could start seeing like noticeable changes. I got a few questions. Can I ask them? Yeah. What's easier, working out for one hour or 20 minutes? 20 minutes. Yes. That's good. What's easier, working out at home or having to go to the gym and stay there for an hour and then add your commute time to the gym? Yeah, it's much better to do it at home. This is all less time, less friction, less commute. All of this stuff is built to fit into your life because it's way more important to be consistent in your exercise routine than it is to draw up the perfect plan. You don't need all the equipment in the world. We're just, you know, we're just monkeys that talk. We're not too much different from other animals. We don't Mm. need all of the things we think we need. Yeah. So working out at home with just your body weight is a great way to work out. Yep. And we've noticed, I mean, we've always been, since we've known each other, in good shape. But we've definitely noticed, like, significant changes in our body composition through just implementing these, like, really short and simple workouts. Um, 
I guess we should talk about what they are. Yeah, so resistance training. So he recommends tending in three, um, three types of resistance training exercise every day. Um, push, pull, and leg. Those are like, I guess those types of workouts. Or push, pull, and squat. I like mm-hmm. to call it push, pull, and squat. Yeah. And I think they're movements. Um, this is just kind of trying to cover the bases of your body. So pushing is what you think of, pushing. And that's the front of your upper body is mm-hmm. involved there. Pulling the back of your upper body is involved. Squat, your legs are involved. Now we've covered all the muscle groups, the main muscle groups in your body. So this is a collapsed workout that touches all parts of your body. 20 minutes, maybe less. Yeah, I think too why picks these exercises because I think they work on like some of the bigger muscles in your body. And then so that's those are better muscles to like try to work on in high intensity because then you could deplete that um, muscle glycogen or deplete it more by depleting it you are leaving more room to soak up glucose and it helps you become more insulin uh, sensitive correct um so how to do this is you want to do a typical set for either the push pull or uh, squat is you want to do five to ten reps to failure um, whatever whatever type of exercise that you're doing where after f- between five to ten reps you're like you can't do anymore and, you know it could be a little bit more a little bit less but you want to try to keep in that five to ten range so you want you that's you, a sweet spot you change the difficulty of the exercise um, to, to stay within that range and um, once you um, if once you can easily do 10 um, or maybe, you know, I mean, maybe like 10 up to in each of your three sets or yeah, or yeah. more. Um, then it's time to increase the difficulty of the exercise. Uh, so you exercise. progress and you add more resistance. So, so what is the, yeah, what yeah. Is, like th- for push ups, what's the easiest, yeah. easiest variation of push up? So, like, uh, <laughs> the easiest one would be like a wall push up. So, right. so, say you're really out of shape, which is fine. Everyone needs to start from somewhere. Um, you and you can only do wall push-ups after you can do 10 wall push-ups easily then you would switch to like a knee push-up and then um you would do that again between five and to ten reps I, i'll just explain a wall push-up is just it's a lot like how it sounds you're actually standing up your arms are against or your hands are against the wall and you're doing a push-up against the wall rather than being parallel to the floor as you sometimes think of a wall push-up uh, as a normal push-up i misspoke so that's difficulty uh zero or the easiest one and it's a great one to start with because starting is what matters yeah it's all starting at like i think that's why i like this is that it's, it's all starting at like what you're capable at and then building from there you know like it's like a lot of times with different workouts you see like it starts off at a place where like you know so it might not be boot camp yeah, like that might not be for someone. Like you want to go, and it's Cross all about consistency. Feet. Doing this, like at least you know, trying to do it five times a week um, to build up that strength. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, you you do three sets of those five to ten reps. Do like 20, 30 second break in between each um, set, and uh, you want to do these sets too to triple failure. What's so, triple failure? So triple failure. So you could think of like an exercise as two main phases: the concentric and eccentric. What are those things? Concentric is when you are pushing against gravity, and that's like the hardest part of the exercise. So if you think of a push-up, concentric is when you're pushing up. That's when you're it's concentrating. Really hard. Yeah, and then eccentric is coming down. That's when you're eccentrating. <laughs> Sorry. 
Yes, yes, well, I guess we do. Eccentric. Yeah, eccentric is when your your muscle is pulling apart. It's kind of tension. Yeah. Whereas concentric, you're then tightening your muscle yeah, back so up. Yeah, so it's, it's a harder one. Right. So once after you do a concentric, so you push up and you can't, um, you can't like do any more after that that last concentric movement. You then um, you then like uh, hold the position. Hold your position. So that's isometrics. You're just holding still until you can't hold on anymore then you you finish so once like you're you're like ah, i can't i just like can't do this anymore because again you want to signal to your body like wow like i need to time rebuild. to rebuild yes, muscle tissue. that's a really good way to think of it right again, so instead of signaling once we're signaling three times because we're failing three ways yeah yeah um and again yeah you just and th- that put like for example the push-ups it if you're doing it like this it'll take like two minutes to complete a set and you don't need to do the push pull squat um, all next to each other. You can scour them out throughout the day. Um, so you could just do like two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the afternoon, two minutes later. I've been doing that a little bit right now. Um, it's still kind of the point in time where we're all socially isolating or distancing or physically distancing or all of the ways mm-hmm. we kind of refer to the quarantine procedures. Um, and so I've been working from home. So with that, I can work out a little bit at a time and get the workout through the whole day and it doesn't even interrupt my day at all it's just seamless yeah yep it's really it's just really quick it's really simple it's again it's all about consistency so push pull squat push being a push-up as the main movement pull being a pull-up though you want to progress or regress the resistance on these to your level so if you're doing if you're trying to do a pull-up and you can't you should just try to pull less weight. That might be a small, it might be a stack of books. It might be a kettlebell. It might be a sandbag. It might be a, on a pull-up bar, but you have a chair that helps limit the resistance you're pulling. You stand on that chair and you could assist yourself through the pull-up. And eventually maybe it is a pull-up pull. Same thing with squatting. Think of ways that you can make it not be uh, as Hard of a exercise if you can't do more than one it's not a it's not a problem if you can't do more than one of a certain difficulty it's a problem if you can't recognize which difficulty you should you should be at and and work as best as you can for yourself yeah yeah so those are the three main resistance demand training resistance training exercises he also recommends cardio demand training so this is separate so I don't cardio um, cardio, yeah, it's not fun, um, but it's so short. You're done in two minutes, but it's really killer. Um, cardio de- demand training involves large whole body movements um, that lead to cardiovascular failures. So you could think of like <gasps> sprinting, burpees. Like these aren't like targeting specific muscles and like putting a lot of demand, like train, like um. They're not signaling for strength in the muscles. They're signaling for strength in your cardiovascular system. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's pretty simple to do cardio demand training. You want to do, again, three sets, like three sets, three sets to max um, of maximum effort. Um, so What does that look like? So you can do an exercise that brings you to failure in roughly 30 to 60 seconds, three times. Again, 30 seconds in between each For me, one. it's always 30 seconds. 60 is like years yeah. farther than I can do. I can't. Yeah, I mean, if you if anyone is sprinting as fast as they possibly can, they you they usually can't do more than thirty seconds because, and that's the thing, like it's so intense, right? Yeah, everyone can run 
like some people will run a lot slower than others when they're sprinting, but if they're going at maximum effort, no matter who you are, like you're gonna be done in like thirty seconds. Yeah. Um. So you could um. Make it eight hundred meters. So one way to do this is thirty seconds of all ex- exercise followed by thirty seconds rest. So a lot of times, what I'll do is I'll do like burpees. For 30 seconds, rest 30 seconds, then again, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, 30 seconds on. And burpees are both the worst and the best. Yeah. They're the worst thing in the world, and they're the best thing in the world. Yeah, it's after, like, 30 seconds of doing them, I'm like, I'm breathing pretty heavy. After a 30-second rest, I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay. I guess I can do that thing again. Yeah, but after all three, I'm like, I have to sit down for a second. It's really hard, but... but then. You feel like you're on a cloud after that, right? You yes, I do. And it's, it's so short. It's two minutes. Um, again, I, I don't know if he's recommending to do these in, cardio demand trainings like five times as much as resistance training. I've only been doing them like twice a week. but It's probably not a problem to do them that often. Yeah. I mean, do whatever you want. I think what's more always important li- is the it's probably more impo- It's probably good to do them all the time if you can. But what's always the most important is listen to your body. Yeah. Don't put your body through things it really doesn't feel like doing. Be sensitive yeah. how it feels and and cuz you you want to be able to listen to your body and know what feels healthy, what's kind of is this a point where I need more recovery? Yeah. You can feel it. Yeah, just let's try to listen to yourself. I would focus more on the demand um resistance training at first cuz you're just trying to strengthen. I mean it, de- it depends on what you want, but you know, don't get too worried out with the cardio demand training so another thing to note is the, what is the difference between light and intense cardio so light exercise we're back to the jogging is, question. is just brisk walking and that's not bad like you know if you walk all the time like that's real. it's really good for a lot of different things and also you become you know your gait your walk will be better your posture will probably be better um it's good to be outside uh it's just good to be moving in general um but it's not the best way to like burn fat um obviously like and the reason is is that there's little to no like glycogen depletion. Like when you're walking, you're 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 depleting glycogen at the same rate essentially as when you're like sitting. And then when you're when you're jogging, it's like a little bit more than that, but it's it's not that much. When you're mm-hmm. when you're doing demand cardio, you are like exponentially like ripping that, ripping that out. glycogen out. And when again, when you're ripping that glycogen out, you're then um, tapping into your your metabolism's going to change. You're going to increase that fat oxidation because you know, again, that, that the carbs are out of the storage, so you're going to start burning more fat. Um, and that by depleting that glycogen, you you know, that's how you become more metabolically flexible. That's how you become healthier, you become more insulin sensitive. And again, Sounds we like want to be, to me. we want to, you know, want to leave room in that fat stores and the, the glycogen stores to, to soak up fat and carbs when we eat it. Um, that's how we stay healthy. Um, so like for when we go on a brisk walk for an hour, we might burn 300 calories. But when we do intense cardio, we'll see on top of like burning like calories, just positive changes in our metabolism. Um, so yeah, it's it's important. <laughs> All right, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> that is pretty much it. I mean, we could talk about just how some of what we read just applies directly in our lives. We can do it really yeah. quickly. We won't belabor it. No, we have like a little bit of talk that's totally off topic, possibly, but we gotta wrap it up soon because we've been jabbering a lot. Yeah, I'm just realizing it now. We've been talking a long time. Yeah, and we're really excited about this stuff. We're excited people. Yeah, so I mean, personally, 
Um, this has been my little personal journey with it. Again, I've always been in pretty good shape, um, but uh, I've definitely noticed improvements in my um, my body composition ability to do certain exercises. Like in December, I could only do 20 knee push-ups, and then as of like recently, I can now do 15 regular push-ups. Regular Whoa. push-ups. Look at you. You're so very strong. I feel like I'm much more capable. Like, and, and, and it's all just doing, again, these two-minute <laughs> Like push up exercises, like five about five Fif- times a week. Yeah, I mean, fifteen push ups is not like that's good. It's really good. Yeah, it's a big improvement. I couldn't do one in December, and then now I can do. So in three months, I've made some huge changes. I I see it in my arms, and uh, I definitely do. And, and I mean, and in my legs too. I'm definitely getting. I'd be careful because nice. you're gonna start beating me up. Yeah, I I'm getting strong for sure. <laughs> and it's all very short little exercise. I don't even go to the gym anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's how that's how exercise this exercise protocol. I guess it's one of the main things that's fixed or not fixed, but changed for you. Like one of the direct observations um, for me, um, as far as just like, I think I'm just more consistent in terms of working out by a lot because the barrier to entry for a given workout is very low. Um, I can always tell myself, you have 20 minutes to work out, just work out. Um, if there's days I'm feeling like I should just rest, then I do rest, but it's fine because I've already done probably three to five, um, consecutive days of exercising before that. So it's just very well balanced as a way of working out. I never feel too tired. I never feel too worked out. Um, as far as like numbers or something, uh, I feel like at the beginning, I didn't keep exact track, but I would say at the beginning, in a set of pull-ups, I would do four to five. Um, and as of now, I've, I've been doing 10 pretty typically yeah. in a set. I don't know. But um, not not in any way to, like, um, try and bring attention to, like, achievements or anything like that. Just to prove that uh, being consistent seems to be the thing that I would attribute all of most of that change to. And the fact that the workout's short, it's easy for me to convince myself to do it i don't feel like i'm fighting um myself and i'm not doing any mental gymnastics to get in the right state of mind to walk over to the gym after i pack my bag and all that's no, it's really easy there's a pull-up bar in the apartment and i just walk over to it and i start doing that and then i you know do some push-ups on the yoga mat and then i do the the like squatting is really you don't even need equipment you just have to do a squat very slowly and that's really hard you do 30 seconds to where you're sitting down like so from where you're standing down to holding a squat make that uh journey take 30 seconds then hold the squat for 30 seconds and then re- mm-hmm. reverse the journey go from where you're squatting back up to standing for another 30 seconds it's there's no weights there's no equipment at all and it's very 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 difficult yeah and, um, and with that too i've noticed like my legs have definitely become stronger in a positive way because it's really, again, it's signaling my body to build more. It's very effective. Yes. Wow, I feel so accomplished right now. I don't know if I should. Yeah. I feel like... This was longer than we like thought it would be. <laughs> it, was long, it was a longer podcast than we thought. It was a far more, like, I'm thinking right now, like, everyone's laughing at us. Like, man, those guys are nerds. But, <sighs> it's, you know, it's all right. It's a very intelligent podcast. 
Uh, I listened to Yo Yo Ma the other day while we were uh, writing because it made me feel very. I'm listening to Brian Eno today. Yeah, but I've fallen into this Yo Yo Ma rabbit hole, right? Yeah. You ever see that guy play cello? Yes, you. <laughs> it's there's no difference between him and the cello, uh, and the cello doesn't actually it doesn't look like Yo Yo Ma, but you're kind of wondering like, did he convince that cello just to go <laughs> along with everything? He's, there's no difference, and and as he plays. He's almost in this trance, and that puts you in a, a trance, and you hear him play like some some like uh, Bach movement, and you're just like, I've heard that song a bunch of times before, and it didn't bother me at all. I just kept on whistling by, didn't worry. Then you hear Yo-Yo Ma play a little Bach, and you're just like, whoa, why is this so different? Yeah, He's like so good at it. You were saying it. So, it sounds like, it's crazy, it's just him, it feels like there's a lot of other musicians. Yeah, he usually room. performs solo, or he's got a lot of solo recorded work. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just crazy to me that it, it took a long time in my life to get to this point. And I'm kind of happy that I'm there. Yeah. And I just wanted to share that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we took it to, to get. Yo Yo Ma's been on my mind, that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, he's really. I feel like when I, we play his music, I'm more focused on like writing or reading or something. Like I could read. I can him. feel my brain expand when I hear Yo Yo Ma. Yeah. There's something about that. Also, a great name. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what a better name is. Yeah, it's a really great name. Maybe Genghis Khan. That's a pretty cool name. But yeah, he's good. I mean, and we're, we're since we have, we're, we're going to be home more often with this quarantine, we're yeah. really trying to use our time in a wise and productive and creative way. So, you know, Yo-Yo Mom, de- Yo-Yo Mom definitely helps. Yeah. Yeah, for, for us, it definitely... We're not, I don't think anyone is happy to be stuck inside more than like 90% of their lives. Like, like the rest of our lives, we've been able to go outside with our own freedom of choice all the time. And it's a great feeling. Forever. Right now, it's like, whoa, like I don't have that same feeling. I can go on a walk a little bit, but you just know there's this like restriction put on you. It almost feels like being on a leash. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's really not the best feeling so what we're doing to combat it as best we can um is that we're trying to do something that feels uh, productive and creative at least each day getting some of that feeling now some people are lucky enough to have jobs where they, they while they're working they feel a satisfaction they get some meaning out of it and that's great it's not everybody um but when we're home and stuck inside more if we can focus on being creative, then we have less time to consume. And on the uh, actually, I was looking at my phone way too much the other day. Actually, many other days. Ever since this virus came about, I've been glued to Twitter, just like as if I'm gonna. I think Yo Yo Ma's gotten in my head because mm. I look at Twitter so much that I think I'm gonna like find some miracle cure for this disaster mm. disease that came out of nowhere just if I read enough tweets. It's not true. <laughs> but it's tricked me into that, and so I, at at times I've been consuming too much, mm-hmm. and I feel like the best way to stave off consumption is just try to create something in a day. And it's okay if it's not something that is going to get framed in the Guggenheim. Mm. It doesn't matter what you create; it's kind of that that sense, that process you're involved in is what makes you feel good. So a lot of times for us, and we I would consider this creation or or kind of the little sort of like art if i might use that term cooking cooking a meal 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great little, it's a great process. You start with nothing. You set all your stuff out. Little mise en place. Uh, you get ready for cooking. You're going to prepare a lot of those ingredients. Then you combine them in different ways depending on what you're doing. And then you're going to add heat or some other means of kind of actually cooking the food. I guess salads are, you know, cooked out. You toss them or something. So it's a fun process to be involved in. And at the end of it, you get this wonderful uh, treat that you get to eat, a meal. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a good, yeah, it's just a good way to utilize your time. Like everyone needs to eat. Um, everyone, most people have a kitchen. It's, it's, a, it's a good way to spend your time. And we um, found too, like, I guess, what are the other kind of activities that we've definitely um, enjoyed? I guess I haven't done as much reading as I should, but the times I do read, I've very much enjoyed it. Um, and also, I, stemming back to the phone thing, if I actually want to read, I really almost have to put my phone in a different room now. Um, otherwise, I'll just I'll grab it after probably five minutes. Yeah. Which yeah. isn't good, but this is what happens. If I, if I get it out of the way, I have a better chance um, of just being more focused on reading. Yeah. The, um, this, this whole thing has, I think, been an interesting... We've done more working out. Yeah, definitely. I have, at least. Yeah, I think... I probably have two, um, even mm-hmm. though, yeah. Well, you've been more consistent before it than I yeah. was, so. No, but I do think, like, now it's almost been, like, every day. I usually was just, like, five days a week, because there's just, like, on the weekend, like, there was nothing, we're n- we weren't going anywhere, so we just here, so it was, like, oh, might as well just, like, work out, um, so that's good. Uh, I'd like to do some more drawing, but we'll see. Uh, you can do it. Yeah, I would, I'd like there's to. There's nothing to it but to do it. I was thinking about drawing like a like a trippy food web. Actually, at one point too, you're gonna draw this animal, but we don't know what the animal is. Oh yeah, he's gonna be included in the food web. Can someone tell us what this animal is? It's it goes mm-hmm. along the bottom of the ocean and it has a trunk. And it's like a it, it's like a plant eater, and it just soaks up material from the bottom. What I'm imagining is like just a vacuum fish. I'm just gonna draw him in the my food web, and then. Um, hopefully someone will recognize it and they can tell me what it is. Because when I look up, when I Google fish bottom ocean long trunk, I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> but I swear, it's a, I've seen the it on long, National the, Geographic. The long trunk of potamus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to draw my little food web. I think it's going to be a fun little activity. Um, but yeah, no, this whole thing's been interesting because I've noticed how a lot of People have become very uh, depressed because of it. I mean, I think a lot of people are anxious for a lot of reasons, but like, like you, the positive thing with this all is that it's forcing us all to kind of like see what is essential and important, like 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 strain out our priorities a bit. Mm, Um, What a message! Oh, it's true. It's very true because. and just focusing on what you got and like making the most of it um because it's really easy to avoid that sometimes with like everything that's available to us in our modern civilization <laughs> yeah and almost like just the act of of maybe not commuting on a daily basis like just sort of quiets everything what used to be this like like if your uh you know your mind or your psyche is this this um pond when you're commuting going to work every day like that thing's got so many ripples in it. It's like it's like the Pacific in a storm mm-hmm. at times, right? <laughs> right. That's that's what a Pacific storm sounds like. But when you're not commuting, you're a little more still. 
you're in the house. At that point, your mind kind of quiets a lot more. Mm. And that's the only point in time when you can realize the the deeper feelings and deeper thoughts you have. Because if you're really moving too fast, all those never... You're just too focused on the short-term mm-hmm. little things that you're always reacting to. Like, man, that person cut me on the way to somebody. How, how, why are they cutting me in line? Like, I was supposed to be the one, like, sitting in that seat. Not them. I should be uh, not standing up here. Yeah, I or, or I got to do this task stand. or this task. Or I got, if you're super extrovert, you might be like, oh, I need to, like, see them and then them and talk to them and them. And it's, like, constant, like, distraction all the time. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's just, and so it's, in, this is an important lesson to just be, like, What is it that I really like? What is it that I really care about? Yeah, or I guess the idea, for me, the idea is almost just this, like, all of our lives are disrupted and we don't have a say in it. So first it's like, wow, I I typically think I have a say in that, in my life. So first it's like, whoa, I guess I don't. Mm. I, I thought I did, but I don't. And then next it's like, okay, well, if everything is getting disrupted in some way, it's a, it's a little... In a way, it's a little opportunity to just say to yourself, oh, I used to do that thing all the time. Do I need to do it still? Yeah. Was I happy doing that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... And I think it's this is going to be a good time for people to learn just how to be a little bit more creative because they have to be because it's like there's nothing else to do. Should we play, like, you know the song Changes by Tupac? Shakur? I see those changes. Yes. You think we should play that at the end of this Sure. Song? Like it'll play out at the end. I think that would be a really nice way to conclude this. I yeah. think we should uh, probably conclude soon. We will conclude. I just want to give a shout out and a thanks to our sound engineer. Um, <laughs> she finally, uh, she she is the best sound engineer in the world and she figured out how to add songs. So we will <laughs> add songs occasionally to the start or end of our pod show. For your listening delight and pleasure. Yes, because we do very much like music. We like to share, and we think it, you know, like to tie it in with the themes of what we're talking about. So, I think Tupac would work really well with our the theme of today. Change. So true. All right, that's it, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. <laughs> In the morning and I ask myself It's life worth living, should I blast myself? I'm tired of being born, even worse, I'm black My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch Cops give a damn about a negro Pull a trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero Get it back to the kids, who the hell cares? One less hungry mouth on the welfare First ship them dope and let them deal with brothers Give them guns, step back, watch them kill each other It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere Unless we share with each other we gotta start making changes Learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers And that's how I was supposed to be I can never take a brother if he's close to me uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids But then change And that's the way it is Come on, come on That's just the way it is Things will never be the same That's just the way it is Oh yeah Just the way it is. 
changes All I see is racist faces Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist We under, I wonder what it takes to make this One better place, let's erase the waste it Take the evil out the people, they'll be acting right Cause both black and white and smoke a crack tonight And the only time we chill is when we kill each other It takes skill to be real time to heal each other And although it seems evident, we ain't ready to see a black president uh, It ain't a secret, no conceal the fact A penitentiary's back and it's filled with blacks but some things will never change Try to show another way But staying in the dope game Now tell me what's a mother to do Being real don't appeal to the brother in you You gotta operate the easy way I made a G today But you made it in a sleazy way Sell it back to the kids I gotta get paid But hey, well, that's the way it is Come on, come on That's just the way it is Things will never be the same just the way it is Oh yeah Never change. 